0: Are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. This episode is once again brought to you by Roses. Just like every cowboy sings a sad, sad song, every rose has its thorn. Roses! Hi, thanks for listening to another episode of Rootbound. My name is Steve, and today at the top of the show, I want to talk about nectar. Nectar is pretty cool. You know, it's the sweet liquid that plants create, and uh, as a beekeeper, I think maybe I'm a little bit more into nectar than other people, because nectar is what bees collect and then transform into honey, so that's pretty cool. But in general, nectar is just this really cool example of reciprocity between the plant world and the animal world so nectar is a is a product that plants create that is just for the bugs you know they create nectar to to attract bugs and then in turn the bugs pollinate the plants and so this is a great example where the the, the bugs get a tasty meal and the plants get the ability to carry on generation after generation so i think that's pretty cool and then when I was uh, researching nectar today, I, I learned a fun fact or a dazzling detail that uh, I didn't know before. And there are actually some plants that produce nectar that is not for pollination. So there's two kind of main categories of nectar-producing parts in plants. There are floral nectaries. That's a nectary as a, as a nectar-producing part of a plant. And then there are also extra-floral nectaries. And floral nectaries are within the flower and their purpose is for, for pollination. The, the, the nectaries are, are near the pollen, and when the bugs go in, they get the pollen on themselves, and they take it from plant to plant. But there are parts of plants that are not inside the flower. They're on parts of the leaves or at joints or on the leaves themselves. And some plants create this nectar, and I guess when they first discovered these, they thought maybe it was just a way to, like, manage sugar. It was more like an excretion. But there are some plants that clearly use it to attract predatory insects to help protect them against insects that are eating them. So I guess there's been studies that certain plants that have extra floral nectaries are more visited by wasps. Wasps that also eat uh, other bugs in addition to enjoying the nectar. And there's some plants that use, it, use these extra floral nectaries to attract ants, and those ants protect them from other insects. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know that before. Um, I'm going to have to keep my eye out for some specific examples. But yes, that's nectar. And now that we've discussed nectar, we can move on to our guest segment for today. Here we go. The honeybees that fetch the nectar from the flowers to the comb Never tire of ever buzzing to and fro Because they take a little nip from every flower Hi, Rebecca.
1: Hi, Steve.
0: How's it going?
1: It's great. How uh, are you?
0: Pretty good. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, just to set the scene a little bit here, we are sitting on Rebecca's back porch. So if you hear some wind blowing, you hear some people crunching in the distance. This because there's some other people at the table. But just that's where we are, and it's very lovely, uh, cool summer day. And Rebecca, do you have a plant to share with us today? I do, oh, Steve. Great. Yeah. That, 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 that's good. <laughs>
1: Yes. What, what is um, your plant? So my plant is Virginia bluebells.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. Great. I know nothing about Virginia bluebells. Oh, I've seen them.
1: Yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad yeah. to hear it. Um, but yes, Virginia bluebells. And I'll go ahead. I'll start. Can I start yeah, yeah. By, Tell by telling why I like Virginia yes, bluebells? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, so this was probably mm, seven years ago. I was training for a long distance hike and every weekend I would try to go somewhere and hike like 10 miles a day, um, do like wow. you know one long day of hiking. But one weekend I didn't have a whole day free, um, so I had to go somewhere closer. I hmm. had to like be back for family obligations in the afternoon, um, so I decided to go to Bull Run, to the like Bull Run Occoquan Trail that's around here okay. in, in Virginia. Um, Yeah, I
0: think I've been over there. Is that? Yeah. Anyway, the audience may not know the the geography, but that's okay. It's nearby in Northern Virginia. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's within like a forty-five minute drive, Mm -hmm. or probably closer. Um, So I went down there Saturday morning. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on like a really big hike, and I'm gonna, you know, kill it and get as many miles as I can, or whatever, um, in the time that I had. Um, So I went down, and it was, it was early April. And I just start hiking, and I'm walking along, and I go, "Oh, what? That's pretty, you know." And it was a it was a bluebell, these little tiny, you know, blue flowers. And then I kept walking along, and I'm, "Wow, there's a lot of these. Oh my gosh! Like this must be kind of a big deal." So I figured out that you know I just stumbled into these bluebells, and um, and there were tons of them, and um. It was really cool to see them, because I've, I'd heard about them. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt used to talk about how they would bloom near a, a creek where she lives, mm-hmm. and but I'd never really made a point of seeing them. Um, so it was nice to just kind of stumble upon it and um, just realize that that was something really cool and special and, and local to yeah, my area. Yeah, that's cool. Um, So, and if I had, if I had had more time, I would have hiked, like I would have driven out to, you know, the AT or somewhere further west Mm -hmm. and gone on a longer hike and I would have missed the bluebells. So
0: did the bluebells, um, were they pretty enough to slow down your hike and make you not go as far that day?
1: Totally. Yeah. No, actually the first day, no, Uh because I, it was on the, right on the path that I had planned on going on the second day that weekend, I went back to the same place And I hiked the opposite direction because I had done, like, a little bit of research that night um, to see, you know, Mm -hmm. what's going on with these bluebells. And I went the other direction. It was a little flatter, that Mm -hmm. direction. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should go faster. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to relax and enjoy this, and it'll be okay. Yeah yeah do you
0: remember what month it was
1: so it was April April yeah okay, cool. so they right. they always bloom in early April mm-hmm. and they bloom for about two weeks two to three weeks um and they are let's see I'll go into yeah. some more like factual yeah fun stuff. facts and dazzling detail time um, so the the Latin name is Mertensia Virginica mm-hmm. they're also called Virginia Cowslip Rona oh, okay. Bells Lungwort oyster leaf you say names. lung lungwort lung wart. like
0: l-u-n-g yes like lung interesting yeah apparently
1: Good. native americans used to use them to treat pulmonary conditions Lord. but they are not edible okay like I mean they probably have to be significantly sure. processed interesting like most things
0: like, um I'm glad we call them bluebells and not lung wart, that yeah. They probably wouldn't have as good a reputation. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anything with the word wart yeah, is kinda yeah, like
0: yeah.
1: not not very uh palatable. Indeed. But, um and let's see, they bloom, they have um little clusters of about five to twenty blooms on each little thing. They're they're yeah, sort of bell shaped, obviously. Um it's like a trumpet, a trumpet shaped kind of I don't know the initial part of the flower, and then it opens into a bell.
0: Uh-huh, and then it's like a little they, cluster of those, yeah, right? A yeah, so like the cluster of, those of the little bell. Kind of
1: hang down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I've seen those before. And
1: yeah. the foliage, the foliage is kind of bluish or like purplish green. Oh, I guess, oh, just yeah. Like slightly. Oh, cool. It's
0: bit like purplish. not the green that you normally yeah. think. It's got a little tinge yeah. of purple. To yeah. Really
1: cool. And the cool thing is they, they bloom before the canopy is closed. Like, they oh. bloom in the forest. Okay. Um, and usually near a stream or a river or, um, like, a, um, a floodplain. Mm-hmm. So they like to be near water. Um, and let me see. Yeah. And it's usually early spring, first weeks of April. And then the area, I was kind of surprised to see that the area in which they grow is actually pretty large. Oh, yeah? Um, so they grow from, like, in this area, obviously, Virginia, um, but then all the way north to, like, Quebec, Ontario. Oh, wow. West to Minnesota and Kansas and all the way south oh, to wow. Alabama. So oh, wow. So it's really all over the eastern kind of, like southeastern north america so I do, guess. They,
0: do they call them other kinds of bluebells in other places
1: they that, that's actually the same species yeah yeah. All yeah but well i was over, saying like in but, like oh yeah do
0: they call them minnesota bluebells or the virginia bluebell or uh, i was going to say before when you said the area i was like well is the virginia referring to like colonial virginia which was much bigger than yeah, the state yeah but some of those places were not colonial virginia either right, so right yeah i, I think
1: yeah. they're they're just called like, I mean, it's still Mertensia virginica. Yeah. Even, I was looking at one site from uh, University of Wisconsin, and they still call them Virginia bluebells. Yeah, interesting. So
0: like, uh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah.
1: But there are some other species that are related. Um, like in Newfoundland, this was kind of cool. There's, there's something similar that grows kind of near the beach, like near the coast. Oh, cool. Um, so just a, a relative, I guess.
0: Yeah, it, re- it reminds me a little bit. you know, I grew up in Texas and we have the blue bonnets there, which are really okay. famous and they look yeah, a little they're similar. Yeah. but I actually wonder, I wonder if how related they are, if they're just a similar flower with a little blue thing. But that mm-hmm. was like, that's a big deal in Texas the blue bonnets. Okay. Actually, yeah. I should do an episode about blue bonnets. Cool. I just thought about it at some point. Yeah. But anyway, I was oh, just thinking about cool. those. Yeah, yeah.
1: The, the family that they're in is called the Borage family.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: and there's there's more than 400 species of flowers that are, that are related to them. Yeah. Um, interesting. One of them, I always, thought, I always think it's interesting to be like, this plant is similar to mm-hmm. but is not yeah. um is a forget-me-not.
0: Oh, a okay. Little,
1: like little flower with little blue petals. Mm-hmm. Um and that one's an open flower. That one has flat five petals. Um but the yeah, bluebells kind of have five petals but they're like fused into one.
0: I see. I shape. see. Uh-huh. Well, that Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um and, see, do you yeah. have any other fun facts or dazzling details oh, man. about Bluebell? I have like yeah, and way you've got a, too
1: many. <laughs> Rebecca has a huge look...
0: page of notes here, I'm looking at, so <laughs> I know there's for, more to come. Yeah. I mean
1: you're lucky I didn't make a PowerPoint. <laughs> but, um, <laughs>
0: they don't work as well on they... podcasts. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um one thing that I thought you might find interesting, mm-hmm. I looked into how they are pollinated. Oh yeah. Um and so typically because of their shape, you know, they kind of droop down. Mm-hmm bees would have to hover Mm -hmm. in order to pollinate them Mm -hmm. um so they're usually pollinated by butterflies oh okay and then they also contain this chemical called anthocyanin um so they they kind of change color they start out the buds are pink um, and then once they are ready to be pollinated, they become more blue because the flower becomes more mm-hmm. al- alkaline. Mm. Some,
0: like interesting, you know, mm. chemistry. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then they turn pink again after pollination. Generally.
0: Oh okay. Oh wow. I didn't. I didn't know that part. Kind of that's cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. Well, that was cool. So yeah. So that's kind of the yeah pollination my quick little lecture on bluebells but they're super fun um so yeah i highly recommend you know seeing them if you're anywhere in the eastern united states
0: in the Cool. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing. Yeah. Bluebells are with me. Would you uh, mind if I yeah. share a plant with you?
1: I would love it. Okay. Yes,
0: please. So uh I'm gonna I'm gonna sh- just uh, get some props <laughs> out here that I have. So if I'm off mic for a second, apologies. Um I have a little cooler next to me. Ooh. And we're gonna get some glasses. Um, Carla, thank you for getting glasses. All right. <laughs> uh <laughs> and so I have this Ooh! And um, this is a jar. I just pulled a jar out of my bag here. The jar has things floating in it, and I'm going to just get your assessment first, okay. Rebecca, if you know what is going on here.
1: Um, is well, I heard you talk about your dandelion mead. Yes. Is that what this
0: is? This this is a mead. Okay. But this is not dandelion. Okay. Do, do these flat? There are flowers in here. I'll reveal that now. Flowers There's flowers in there. floating in a in a yellowish liquid.
1: Oh um, oh, yeah, okay. And I see them. Okay, they're kinda yeah. But it's hard to tell. I mean the flowers kinda just look Yeah, I don't know, white or colored by the liquid that they're yes, in.
0: Yes, so they, they are little white flowers yeah. and this I should have got something to cut this uh, but I'm gonna just oh, okay. deal with it. It's fine. Right. Um okay. this is my plant I chose today is, is elderberry. Oh, and good. these are elder yeah. flowers. Okay. And so this Great. is elder flower mead. Okay. And we're going to pour awesome. a little bit out for everybody here, and I'm going to do my best to do this okay. on, on, on mic. Yeah, I can and, uh, put this down. Um, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let's actually, actually, let's do this, because actually, if you if you press the top of the jar, you press that? You okay. see that? Yeah. It's under pressure. So now what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to have you hold your mic up up to it. Hold okay. your mic right close to it, and I'm going to open the jar, okay? No, okay. Oh, there's a little bit. It wasn't too much. A little f- bit. little f- when you- it's not that fizzy because I just I just kind of put it in the fridge today. I didn't want it to, to go too much, so it's not going to be as fizzy. Cool. But let's just do our best here Dang. to uh, we'll let me get fall. some of my electronics yeah. out of the way yeah. <laughs> before I start pouring this stuff. All right, let's see here. Here we go. I'm going to pour a little bit. Good. Let that drain. Ooh. I'm going to try to pour four of these. Awesome. sorry I'm making a mess here a little bit apologies That's
1: all good <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm, our house is usually messier so. okay so
0: we go like that <laughs> and then we're gonna pour a little bit more and then sorry audience if this is a little bit tedious <laughs> but yeah, I'm pouring oh, I'm yeah, pouring there. four small glasses yeah. I've got about I've got about a wine bottles worth of this here um, and we'll see how it tastes I actually don't know if it's gonna be any good so that's nice. other other sorry. other trick yeah um, and I, and, I, and I won't get into too many more details of this after we uh, finish pouring. But actually, wh- while we start, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start talking about why I chose this plant and why I like this plant, besides that I've made some mead with it. Mm-hmm. So about, well, it's actually right, it's like four years ago now, uh, like I say in every episode when Carl and I bought the house we have. Um, before we even bought the house, I was looking into some gardening stuff and I, I discovered that the Fairfax County Soil Conservation District has a yearly... Uh, native seedling sale.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And
0: you can... And, and apparently, it's pretty common in a lot of places. I didn't know that. But yeah. every year, you can, like, for pretty cheap, it was like 20 bucks, I got 10 seedlings, two of five different plants. Okay. And one of those was elderberry, okay, and it right. was American elderberry, which, I at the time, I didn't really realize was, um, you know, you, when I think of elderberry, I always think about Europe, right? Like, mm. that's something that was in my brain. But apparently, mm-hmm. elderberry is also native to this continent. There's yeah. actually three species at least that are native to this continent but this one that i'm growing is sambucus canadensis canadensis, which is like canadian uh elderberry or just north american elderberry okay um and yeah so i got these little bare root seedlings which i you know that's the first time i ever experienced a bare root seedling which is basically looks like a stick with some dead roots on the bottom and it's like amazing that you can actually like grow a tree from that or a bush from that but i Along with a few other plants, I put them all over our yard and the elderberry is by far doing the best. Like they are oh, huge this year. Last awesome. year was the first year I got berries. Okay. But this year I'm gonna get a ton of berries and also I had so many nice. flowers that I decided to do some stuff with the flowers, which elder flowers also used for many um things. <laughs> Mark is struggling to open a jar in the background. Oh, there we uh, yeah. Go. yeah. Um, so cool. uh yeah, they, they look
1: like kind of. Do they look like kind of little tiny blueberries? So yeah, the berries look yeah.
0: like these tiny little dark. They're they're darker than a blueberry, okay. and they're small. The flowers yeah. actually almost brought um almost brought a flower head, and then decided not to. I thought it wouldn't transport well, but the flowers form these like circular discs, okay. and they're these tiny flowers, as you can see in here. And they make this circular disc, and then all those flowers eventually get pollinated and turn into berries. So you have this like large circular seed head that ends up drooping down, mm, heavy okay. with berries. Yeah, um, cool. And yeah, it's it's super cool. I'm gonna take your glass and maybe finish. Oh, yeah. um, sure. Fill it. Look, you got some nice We're bubbles in on this one. Look yeah, at that. That one. actually, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this one. I'm sorry. I'm gonna try to keep these even. These jars yeah. even. But um, nice. so yeah. So well, does
1: it, it grow into, like,
0: a bush? Yeah, so it's a big bush, okay. and it and it ends up having lots of different stalks come up from the base, mm-hmm. so now, like, it's actually getting bigger, and I have to kind of, like, the stalks will pop up each year kind of further and further away, and I have to kind of control it to keep it in okay. its place. wow. Um, and it's a huge bush. Wow. I mean, I'll cool. post pictures of it on Instagram. Awesome. The, one of them is bigger than the other, and it's, like, shockingly large, and <laughs> wow. um, it's a lot of fun, and um, I've been having fun experimenting with it. I'm going to open up, as soon as I finish pouring this... I'm going to uh, open my notes here and tell you right. some other fun facts and de- details about
1: okay. elderberry. Very cool.
0: So yes, elderberry, the the Latin name, as I mentioned before, is Sambucus canadensis, this, this one, but Sambucus is the genus of elderberry. Okay. And um, first I was like, Sambucus, that's interesting, that sounds like Sambuca, in like, there's a drink called Sambuca, yeah. you know, it's like a anise-flavored beverage. And apparently there's not any, like, the drink Sambuca has nothing to do with elderberry, oh, and I don't know, okay. I couldn't actually figure out why the drink is called Sambuca, yeah. it has no elderberry products in it whatsoever, I think okay. it was, like, a marketing thing, honestly, because I think the drink is not that old, or at least the name, so, mm-hmm. that's sad. but,
1: mm.
0: um, the name elderberry, you think elder, and you think it has to mean, like, old or something, but... From what i found is elder is actually from uh like old english word ailed which means fire okay and you can use the hollow stalks to make fire so that's where the name elder comes from actually okay. comes from it's like ability to make fire and this oh, yeah. yeah the yeah. the stocks actually are really cool i almost brought one of those two they're segmented and they have the hollow pith so they're very easily to become hollow and so if you're trying to make okay. I guess it makes it easier to make fire. But also yeah. people have made flutes with them and pipes and whistles. And actually some oh, cool. of the other names wow. for them are like pipe plants because wow. like it really does like have these little uh, okay. solid pipes. And I just kind of learned okay. that recently, so I'm going to try to start making some stuff. Yeah. I almost tried to like see if I could get a whizz- whistle together today, but I ran out of time. <laughs> so I'm going to try to make an cool. elderberry whistle. Cool. Um, so, yeah, Sambuca. Sambuca is actually that word Sambuca is is the name of an instrument okay.
1: and I oh. think originally
0: it was the name of a wind instrument that has yeah. to, that was made from it but I couldn't find any pictures of what that actually was but okay. there is an instrument called a sambuca that's like you know in like old images that there's like a person playing a little harp Okay, that's like a sambuca but that oh. apparently has nothing to do with the elderberry it's okay. very confusing Interesting. <laughs> but um, but that's what sambuka means and I think that's why they started calling sambucas is because of the wind instrument made from the plant not okay. this other thing called the sambuca Huh. A little bit confusing. Wow. Um, so both the berries and the flowers are used a lot, but the elder flowers are uh, if you've ever had Saint germain, the the liqueur Saint germain or Saint Germain yeah. is yeah. elderberry liqueur. You'll, it's on a lot of cocktails. yeah, um okay. and and yeah. it's an elderberry liqueur. Um, you can make mead with it, you can make syrup with the flowers. You can make wine from the berries. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I've had elderberry wine before. Actually. Oh, nice! We went to a like a farm B and B, oh, and that was cool. one of the things that he, he was like, "You have to try my elderberry wine." And
0: uh, <laughs> cool. That's wonderful. I I, I want to try to make elderberry wine this yeah. year. When when I, I think I'll have enough berries yes. to do that. Last year I only made elderberry syrup, okay. um, which is also yeah. pretty tasty. Um, and also, and it's
1: supposed to be good for um, the immune system. Yes. Is that right?
0: Yes, indeed. Yeah. In fact, I I was good looking enough. at that because now elderberry. If yeah. like you go to CVS. A drugstore around yeah. here, there's like a whole section of like elderberry products, yeah. which is like really interesting. I was like, well, I was like, yeah. what? what's the truth in that? What does that really mean? And I found a couple of scientific studies. There's one study that was published in the journal Nutrients, um, a paper by Evelyn Tirolongo, Shirley Wee, and Rodney Leia called Elderberry Supplementation Reduces Cold Duration and Symptoms in Air Travelers, a randomized double-blind mm. placebo-controlled clinical study. And their overall takeaway is that the data suggests that reduction of cold duration and severity in air travelers. So wow. it didn't really have a measurable disin- uh, difference in who got sick or not, but it had a very measurable difference in yeah. how long the sickness lasted. Nice. And then there was another um, larger study, which I didn't write down the name of it, that was kind of an overall review of other, docu- uh, you know, other research about elderberry, and it mm-hmm. and it does show that it has definitely some effect, definitely at reducing the duration of, of colds. Okay. Uh, yeah. If if mm-hmm. you know not. So yeah, that's pretty cool like it's been used for that traditionally for a long long time cool. but just knowing it's always nice to see like science back up that so that was pretty always. cool
1: yeah great
0: um I think this stuff awesome. is actually fine finally finished filtering this uh, elderberry meat so we can nice. maybe all have a quick drink here yeah uh, and then get on with that cheers. so let's cheers and let's see if this tastes any good guys <laughs> yeah. it's
1: good yeah it's great <laughs>
0: wow it's very tasty it's like sweet but a little bit like oh yeah it's a little bit tangy um, some floral the floralness floral. definitely the elderberries are there mm-hmm. it's different from my other my other meats that's really fun that's really nice all right success okay wow. <laughs> um so what what have i missed here in my notes Amazing. uh blah 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 Oh, so one interesting thing now that I've made you drink this is that, um, uh, elderberry does, at least el- the stems and leaves do contain cyanogenic glycosides,
1: mm, which
0: mm. are chemicals that can turn into cyanide. Oh, So elderberry great. can be poisonous as I take another drink.
1: That's okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna, and um, you know, might as well live it up now.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've poisoned you all. Mm. This is the last episode yeah. of the podcast. Um, <laughs> no, um. But it's really interesting because some people were reading that, you know, it's toxic because it has cyanide, but it doesn't actually have cyanide. It has compounds that can convert to cyanide in your body. Mm, But if you don't take that, if you're not consuming that much of it, your body will break those down pretty fast and it's not a problem. Also, fermentation can break down those compounds. And also heating can break down those compounds. So a lot of things for making syrup, it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Fermentation is not a problem. And the flowers are not a problem either. There might be a few stems in here, so the stems have slightly higher levels but at this level it shouldn't be a problem Okay, Okay. but uh it's one of those things where oh there's a fun bird in the background um it's one of those things where like if you if you read traditional recipes all of the traditional recipes for elderberry have either heating or fermentation or something Mm. like that involved okay and there have been cases though i read about where there's a woman who was taking tincture of elderberry to prevent cold but a tincture is just extracting from From, with alcohol, right, and so that was just extracting those molecules out without Mm. any way of breaking them down, Mm. and she got very sick and got, like, cyanide poisoning, because the cyanide also builds up. So, it's one of those things of, like, just because a plant has a property of being good for the immune system doesn't mean you can just ingest it in any way, and, like, the traditional methods knew that, even though they didn't know the mechanism, Mm.
1: so I thought Mm -hmm. that was really interesting, of, like, yeah,
0: yeah, this is how you're supposed to treat it. You're heating it, or you're fermenting it, um and people knew that it's toxic in other ways so okay. you know it's this plant you have to be careful with with and so i, I yeah i thought that was super fascinating so yeah. yes i'm not i have not poisoned you no. good okay <laughs> um good to know and then elderberry has a really uh long um history in folklore it is a mm-hmm. very important plant that uh, wards away evil and then there's a really interesting thing that I read about the elder mother, that is a spirit that lives in the elderberry that you have mm-hmm. to respect or else she'll get you. And I think that kind of goes back to that poisonous stuff. It is a very healthful plant, but if you don't treat it correctly, it can damage you. So yeah. like this, this myth about this this like queen of the fairies that lives in the elder berry is kind of like I don't know. I thought it was like quite poetic with that. Mm-hmm. And so, cool. yeah, I think. I think that's all I have yeah. to say about, about elderberry, but uh, yes. thank you for joining me and this drinking was yeah. delicious. Thank um, you. Well, Let's do a cheers one more time on microphone. Earlier in the episode, when I was speaking with Rebecca, I served up some of my homemade elderflower mead. And at the beginning of the show, we talked about nectar, which is ultimately the source of the drink mead. And so I thought now would be a great time to share with you my mead journey, how I started to make mead, which is now something I do very regularly, and it's pretty cool. So first off, what is mead? Well, mead is essentially just honey wine. It's a simple fermented drink made of honey, water, and yeast. That's all it is, and it's pretty cool. It's one of the oldest alcoholic drinks out there. And one thing I think is really cool about mead is it's this collaboration between four different life forms, right? You have the human, me, I'm, I'm putting it all together to make the drink. You have the bees, which, collect, uh, the, the, which make the honey they, by collecting nectar, and the nectar is made by plants. And then you have yeast, which is, you know, in its own kingdom that converts the sugars in the nectar, in the honey, into alcohol, so it's a it's a really cool like collaboration of four different forms of life, and I I think that's a really cool process. I'm a beekeeper, which uh, I think many of you know from listening to the podcast, and so when I first started harvesting honey, I thought it'd be fun to try to make mead, but I found the process pretty intimidating. Like you, ever, all the recipes I found were for five gallon batches, which seemed like a lot of honey to use in case something went wrong, and everything said you needed to get this stuff called yeast nutrients because yeast needs more than just sugar. And because honey is not like grape juice or other juices, it's basically just sugar that the yeast may not survive. And you had to like be super exact with how you mix everything and how you sanitize everything. And, and I'm kind kind—I'm of, the kind of a guy who likes inexact recipes. Like when I cook, I kind of like go with the flow. And so it didn't really seem uh, like maybe it was for me. But then I found this really cool blog uh, called Pixie's Pocket. And a woman named Amber Pixie talks about how she makes... These one gallon batches of mead, and she has a process where she always has kind of one gallon going, and it's much—you know—you you you use much less honey. If something goes wrong, it's not as big of a deal because you use less honey, and you can be more experimental. So it's like, okay, maybe that's for me. I'm going to try that. And then I also was thinking about the yeast nutrients, and I was like, well, people have been making mead for a really long time, and they didn't have access to buying yeast nutrients on Amazon. So let me just try it without that. And so I, I I followed her recipe, which is a bit more inexact, but but still, you know, still a, a good recipe. And I made one gallon batch of mead uh, using yeast I bought online. I didn't use the yeast nutrients because I was like, people have been doing this for a long time, and it worked. It was good. I was so amazed. Uh, after about a month of fermentation, uh, a little bit longer in the bottle, it was really tasty. And uh, you know, made about four bottles of mead. Um, And I was like, wow, it worked without yeast nutrients. And my theory behind that is that my honey is, you know, basically straight from the hive. And that honey has lots of pollen in it still. And there's, you know, stuff that the yeast can feed on besides just sugar. So that's my theory. I think if you buy honey from the store that's super processed, maybe you're not going to have as much luck. I haven't tried that because I don't need to buy honey from the store. But it worked. And I've never had that problem where I think the fermentation stopped because the yeast didn't have enough to go on. So... Still, the process was still a little bit too complicated for me, like, you know, buying the yeast online, making sure everything is super sanitized, making this gallon batch. Um, and so I didn't make mead that much, but but then I got this book called The Art of Fermentation by Sandor Elix Katz, and it's a really awesome book about all sorts of fermentation, particularly wild fermentation, using yeast from the environment, not buying it from the store. And his chapter about mead is is much more chill like he's not as concerned you still got to wash things but he's not concerned about heavy sanitization because you know when you're making mead with store bought yeast you want to make sure that's the only yeast acting on your mead but if you're using wild yeast the yeast that lives in the honey already you don't you don't need to worry that much you know you want to foster those yeasts that live there already and his recipe is super simple your only ingredients are water honey and then stirring That's the magic part of this, is that if you mix raw honey with water in the right ratio, about five or six to one, and then you stir it every day, and in the book, he says, stir, 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 stir." he repeats that a lot, which I thought was fun. You do that every day, once or twice a day, and then about a week later or so, you go in to stir it, and it bubbles up, and it's like really magical. It's like, you know, you started with something that's like seems inert and all of a sudden it's, it's come to life and it's bubbling. And I had this thought, I was like, Oh, this is, this would totally seem like magic to people who didn't understand yeast. Right? Like um, you, you start with kind of just this inert thing and all of a sudden it's comes to life. And then when you drink it, it makes you feel funny. It's it, that it's a potion. <laughs> and then I was thinking about, you know, that image of the witch, um, stirring her pot and maybe that image not comes from like cooking something but actually comes from fermenting something because that bubbling it, it happens as well when you when you make a fermented drink so i thought that was really interesting and in how how like you could really understand how this idea of magic came from these like alcoholic drinks i i mean i really understood that myself then it is it does feel magical right this you make this thing you're stirring it, and then you drink it, and you get that that feeling. Um, and then another little piece of magic I came to understand in this process is that when I'm starting making these these smaller batches of meat, so I'm actually only making uh, one quart jar at a time, so it's about one bottle of wine worth per batch, which is really fun. It's much, much more like low stakes. I don't have to use that much honey. I can experiment more. But since I'm doing that,' I'm, making, make, I'm kind of keeping several batches going at a time. So I'll start with one and when it gets going, I'll start another one and you know I've got maybe three or four going all the time. But one cool thing is if you I use the same stirrer on all of them. So each day when I'm stirring them, I start with the one that's the most active and I stir it and then I move on to the next one and the next one. But by using the same stir stick, I transfer a little bit of that active yeast culture from the first one to the second one. And it actually starts fermenting way faster, which is really cool. And it's I'm like, oh, I have a magic wand. <laughs> like, I, you know, by using this one device, this one piece of wood, right, it, it makes the, the process go faster. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's where this idea of a magic wand came from. I don't know for sure, but I, I, I felt that, and it was really interesting. So um, I actually had a friend who, who told me after I explained this process – she said, "Oh, so you you became a wizard?" I'm like, "Oh, I guess, I guess I did." So anyway, it, it's really fun, and so now I'm making you know these one these one you know bottle of wine batches of meat all the time. It's a really fun hobby. I'm enjoying it. It's 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 not super exact. It really kind of fits my personality, and it's a lot of fun. So um, if you want to try it, pick up that book by Sandor Alex Katz. It's really great, and read this blog Pixie's Pocket, which is also really inspiring to me. And if we ever meet in person, and I've got some meat on hand, I'll definitely let you try it. It's it's a lot of fun to do. And thanks for letting me share my meat journey with you. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Rebecca Yuri. Rebecca is a full-time mom and part-time yoga teacher. Rebecca and I go way back to the high school days, and also she's got a really great garden. So, uh, thanks for having us over, Rebecca. Rootbound is hosted by me, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegiskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. But if you can go outside, may I suggest taking a really long hike? But don't forget to stop and observe the bluebells. Roses!